Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. All right, guys, welcome back. Episode 45 of Hashing It Out. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Petty. With me, my trusty co-host, as always, Colin Couchet. Say what's up, everybody, Colin. What's up, everybody, Colin? And today's, I think I said, episode 45, and we're having another repeat guest today, which is always awesome. Zeki Manian from, from Cosmos has joined us to discuss all things Cosmos and what how he feels, I guess... Um, what he feels about how things are going on across the entire ecosystem. So, Zaki, why don't you uh, welcome back to the show? For those that haven't listened to the previous episode, um, give us give our audience a quick introduction as to kind of who you are and what you work on. Uh, yeah, I'm Zaki Munyan. Uh, my title right now is Director of Research at Tendermint. Um, I have been involved in the Cosmos project uh, basically since its inception. Um, uh, I'd say my biggest contribution was shooting down a previous version of the design uh, and that, and pointing Jay and Ethan in sort of a good direction that ended up turning into Cosmos. I was the first person who funded the project and I uh, had joined the team in February of 2018. And I have been, uh, I was basically responsible sort of for making sure launch happened. Uh, and so launch is over, and now I'm in, um, have my fingers in a bunch of different pies. Um, mostly we've just sort of been dealing with post-launch uh, issues, you know, exchanges, asking technical support questions, an increasingly large number of users interacting with the system. Yeah, the, our ecosystem seems to be growing rapidly. Uh, but yeah, I, I, my, my, whole, my, my basic goal is mostly to sort of start sort of driving the future direction of Cosmos as we get closer to having delivered what was in the original white paper. So before before we dive into kind of what Cosmos is and, and, and um, things of that nature, I'm actually kind of curious based on what you just said, can you talk a little bit about um, what it's like after launching Mainnet? Because right now I feel we have a tremendous amount of projects that are very tr- trigger shy. They're afraid to put something on Mainnet, afraid to launch, everything's in beta. And um, can you can you speak to kind of the trials and tribulations or things you thought were a big deal that actually weren't a big deal as going into mainnet and kind of how you felt the community has responded to those things? Okay, so I'll just preface this with I gave an entire talk about this at MIT Bitcoin Expo. Awesome, I'll link that in the show notes. That, that people really love, um, and uh, it was a little bit my victory lap on our it was right before launch but it was largely my victory lap on on how we've approached getting to launch and yes this was my this was my responsibility and you know i think this is this is this is the this is the challenge is you know we are building um so you know incentive design is probably the most powerful thing in the entire world you know we're 10 years in and satoshi's incentive design is you know is essentially manipulating, um, you know, 1% of the world's electricity output. So 
we are definitely creating powerful, difficult to control um, systems that operate in an adversarial uh, environment. So, you know, I can totally understand why people don't launch. I will also say that I have learned more about this system in the six weeks that it has been live than in the previous three years that we thought about it. And so our biggest, like to me, the biggest reason why we wanted to launch, the biggest reason why we thought launching kind of, we, we, we feel like we, every step of the way, we released everything as soon as we were sure that we were not going to deeply regret it. Uh, or at least like reasonably confident. As long as the minute we were like 70, 80% confident that this is, we were not making a horrible mistake, we pulled the trigger. And, and I, I, my, my approach to things is, was always to push, uh, push really hard. We push really hard on public test nets. We push really hard on getting releases out that encouraged other people to build on us. We pushed really hard on the, um, we pushed really hard on getting uh, our, getting our main net out. Um, and we continue to push really hard on just, you know, getting the next, next set of features. We push really hard on, 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 on governance, starting to do things, all of that stuff. We, uh, we've been pushing, we, that's, that's been our approach because ultimately you don't learn that much from test nets. You know, we tried through game of stakes and everything to make our test nets far more educational, uh, and informative than I think other less, uh, less, uh, aggressive uh, test net processes have been, but I think we definitely have demonstrated uh, a, a pretty different paths to getting to mainnet than I think other people have followed. And uh, we hope other people, other projects like follow in our footsteps. And, and you can kind of do that at this stage because it's not as heavily adopted as it would be in an ideal, like in an ideal scenario where it's actually been out and people are starting using it and stuff like this. This actually helps you introduce and fix feature, uh, fix problems that uh, arise faster, which means you get to iterate faster, which means you get to actually launch faster. Is that kind of your philosophy on that? Or do you feel like there's no difference between whether or not it was already heavily dependent upon or not? Like would that have changed your decision process? More people depend on this stuff than I would have ever imagined at this stage right now. Really? Um, I mean, between, you know, between the Cosmos hub Binance chain, Iris chain, you know, there are several billion dollars of assets under management on our software right now. Um, Holy crap. I did not know that. Can you just tell me a little more about what's, what's, what, what it's being used for? I didn't know that Binance was, is what is Binance using Cosmos? So, so Binance is decentralized up. exchange. Ex Dex is built off of the Cosmos SDK. So the biggest exchange slash almost probably most popular exchange uh, as of yet is is basing their backend on on Cosmos, and they are migrating the BNB token to natively be on that chain, uh, oh, and there are a number yeah. of other chains of tokens that have migrated natively. Slightly before the Cosmos Hub launched, the Iris Hub, which is a sister project of ours in China, um, launched their uh, network, and then the Cosmos Hub launched, and then. Uh, the Cosmos governance turned on token transfers, and we've seen a pretty significant amount of volume on those tokens. So yes, uh, uh, a lot of people, a lot of projects are depending on the software. Um, we have a pretty steady queue of um, of new projects that are uh, launching, and then 2019 that are using various components of the stack: Tendermint, Cosmos SDK. Uh, thinking about adopting our interblockchain communication. All of that is happening. So, yeah. Oh, and Terra just launched as well. 
Uh, I don't want to leave them out. Uh, another, you know, very valuable set of assets. That, so we have, an, we have an, a, a rapidly growing set of, ec, of economies uh, built on top of, of, of the Cosmos stack. Uh, I would never have imagined in my wildest dreams um, how much has been built on top of us that is, that is live. Um, yeah, I mean, now. finance alone, that's tremendous. Like I had no idea that they were, so it was being leveraged in, 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 in Binance. I, I, that's, yeah. That's a pretty big one. But when you say someone is building on top of you, can you kind of go a little bit more into what that means? Is it, are they relying on the Atom token? Is it, is it just something that they plan to use the IBC and the Cosmos hub to interact with each other? Is it, is it just because they're using their, your SDK? Like how, how exactly does that work and what is the dependence on Cosmos? Okay, so let's understand, let's unpack a couple of different ideas um, here. So the first, so I think a fir the first question was, tried to get to the value of the Atom token. Uh, it's like, why is the Atom token valuable? How does the Atom token accrue value, et cetera? Um, I want to park that and say that like, while that is a thing I think a lot about, it is not part of our KPIs right now. It, it is definitely something that we anticipate switching more of our attention to in the future. Right now, our goal primarily as an organization was we think that the core value of the Cosmos architecture is politically independent, sovereign chains, uh, economically interacting with each other. So what we have done is first built the technological infrastructure for sovereignty, and then build the technological infrastructure for interconnectivity, and then we get to the value capture part. So. The part that is is reasonably mature and extreme and production ready is this capacity to build your own sovereign chain. And I think one of the virtues of that architecture is seeing uh, users like Binance come on, build a chain that meets their needs, that uh, that works for their token holders, that works for their business goals using our technology stack. And so, so that's the key piece. And in parallel, our team is working very hard on specifying and then implementing uh, the inner blockchain communication piece, which will then allow all of these pieces to become linked. And, and then we get to this question of how do different sets of token holders accrue value in this sort of new, faster, more innovative blockchain economy that we're building. Okay, that is great. Uh, I think a good way to kind of segue into that is how are you differentiating yourselves from some of the, the, the more popular similar type things coming online like can you can you explain yourself as to like why are you different from f 1.0 and then how are you different from polka dot how are you different from uh like maybe like something that's completely off the walls like like ripple and then how are you different from f 2.0 as they then move into uh somewhat of a similar type architecture yeah okay that's a lot i know lots like of questions um okay so um and I, I'd be happy to kind of go through them. Um, why don't I propose an order? Yeah. Um, how we're different from Ripple, uh, ETH 1.0, how we're different from Polkadot, and then how we're different from ETH 2.0. I think that's why a great way to do it that. In that order. Okay. So I'll start with Ripple. The, the, the sort of core differentiator, I mean, there's, there's lots of differences in software architecture and everything, but probably the biggest differentiation between something like Ripple and something like Cosmos is 
we believe in a crypto economic security model where there is value that is collateralizing the security of the network and the security of the of the operations of the system and what an atom fun fundamentally is is designed to be as kind of like a really good form of collateral it is the it, it is crypto capital that you lock up earn various cash flows on as a as a result of of making decisions that contribute to the security of the network and then and that if those decisions are are go awry if your validator gets hacked if your validator misbehaves that capital gets destroyed and atoms in my mind are the first asset with this set of design goals in mind as a sort of core value proposition and so this which is really different from what ripple is trying to do where the security of the ripple network is sort of anchored by reputation and xrp is essentially um is is a medium of exchange uh, on that network so really different uh, value proposition there so then we go to uh eth1 eth1.0 and the difference the sort of, of of difference between eth1.0 and cosmos so i think the way that we th we think about eth1.0 and you and to a certain extent you know the next three eth2 eth1.0 polkadot and eth2.0 is being variants on this idea of of trying to build us of building a system in which yes you have programmability but ultimately there is one common blockchain there is one place that all of the stakeholders have to coordinate around upgrading and evolving the system over the time is this large scale coordination effort it is incredibly difficult and complicated to do the purpose of cosmos is is by allowing everyone in cosmos or every sort of group of 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 every sort of affinity group every community to potentially have their own blockchain in cosmos they're able to design their blockchain in a way that like uh uh meets their goals you know should there be on-chain KYC? Should there not be on-chain KYC? Should you have? Should there be gas prices? Should there not? Should there be another way of charging fees? Um, how do you do spam protection? Um, what cryptography do you adopt? All of these things are decisions that largely, in the ETH 1.0 context, require the entire Ethereum stakeholder community to kind of come to consensus on 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 changes. And Cosmos is really about creating a world where there are many little micro communities, each one building various distributed decentralized applications, building various economies, you know, doing things like what people do on Ethereum, like stable coins, DeFi, et cetera. But each one of those communities has sovereignty and self-governance and doesn't have to engage in this complex coordination with the rest of the Ethereum community. So that's that's our differentiation from uh uh from ETH 1.0. When you get into Polkadot, what I would describe Polkadot as trying to do is achieve some of the software development experience of Cosmos, i.e. In, in more customizability of your software um, than what is possible in, uh, uh, in, in the world of smart contracts and more control for the developer, but without the emphasis on sovereignty. So, Polkadot is trying to create a world where there's a large pool of shared security of, of validators uh, that are um, that are sort of 
randomly assigned to work on different blockchains. Whereas Cosmos takes a very validator-centric view. In fact, in many ways, the identity of every blockchain is really tied to who its validator set is. So validators are the people who run the consensus protocol, uh, secure the, the state transition and secure the network. Cosmos takes this very validator-centric view where we, where, you know, there are a uh, hundred validator slots today on the hub. Uh, if you look at the top 20 or 30, they're really strongly branded. Um, they have really strong identities. We view that those validators as kind of like the people who have the most skin in the game and the success of the blockchains. Polkadot is trying to create a world where, you know, there is this, there's this broad set of, uh, 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 of validators. Um, token holders have a lot of uh, control over who that validator set is. They're randomly assigned different work. They don't have, they're, you know, you don't as, as much have like a single validator that is like has affinity with a given chain, though you have that a little bit. They have this role called collators, which are designed to be sort of very chain specific. And so it ends up in the, with a system that's going to have a very different feel. Polkadot also has, has made very different technical choices from Cosmos. They are taking a much more sort of big bang, build a very complicated system in one big go and release it to the world. Whereas the Cosmos approach has really been incrementally releasing functional pieces that can be adopted and deployed in production of our system as we go. And then how do we differentiate from ETH 2.0? ETH 2.0 is largely a system in which, again, it is like Polkadot in the sense that you have this large pool of shared security. You don't have as much emphasis on the branding and identity of the validators. Um, instead, you have we, you have these you have stakers who are who are who, are, who again are, are largely participating in random assignments to shards. Shards are undifferentiated from each other for the most part. They you might have little economic sort of assortments of you know. Uh, you know, all you know, all of the makers, all of the die activity might end up on like these three shards, but largely the shards are 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 similar to each other. You know, they have they they are both Polkadot and uh, E2.0 are focusing on this sort of um, very abstracted base layer of the software, um, where you know basically what the what the chain what individual chains are at a very fundamental level is a web assembly environment plus execution environment plus a consensus algorithm and cosmos has mostly been focused so far on um on sort of native development in go um rather than going all in on web assembly i would say those are the big differentiators um but you know you can especially think of e2.0 potentially as a way of building uh so we call these things Cosmos, we, we call the places where smart contract execution or economic activity primarily takes place zones. And we, we call the uh, parts, the simpler parts of the system that sort of focus on the interconnection between these different pieces, hubs. Um, you can think of, of E2.0 as a kind of super next generation hub or zone. So um, let's rewind a little bit to the, the Polkadot thing. Uh, Polkadot has a lot of particular roles in that uh, situation in their design. Um, you mentioned one collators. They also have this idea of fishermen. I don't know if that's still yep. in their spec. Um, it is. But, um, you know, you are instead of 
having these vast number of roles, you have this validate these validators. Instead of a validator set, you have a validator, a, a particular, I guess you can call it a validator set, but particular validators who are staked in the actual success of the chain from what you just said. Um, that seems to simplify the design a great deal, but what what impact would it have on scalability? Let's say that the particular chain starts getting extremely popular and then its transaction fees are starting to rise and it's uh, it's impacting its its ability to actually deliver on some of the things that it's intended to do. Would the uh, the design of the, I guess, hub and spoke is actually kind of uh, seems reasonable comparison here. It, would that, is that correct? Would you be able to validate across multiple uh, copies of the same chain or transfer assets between different chains. Um, so basically, can you kind of do a sharding scenario, I guess, using the Cosmos model or not? Okay, so here's how I define sharding. Um, and I differentiate it from the Cosmos model. Uh, so we have, in Cosmos, we are focused on two things. One is interchain connectivity between interchain interaction between or cross chain interaction between sovereign chains. And then I've been doing a lot of, like, this is specifically something I've been working on, which is um, what I call cross chain validation. What people call shared security or sharding is really a world in which what you're expecting, what you are expecting is a world in which the security of shard three and the security of shard 12 are exactly the same. Um, if any shard changes or if security fails on any shard, um, the only way to recover is to halt the entire system and sort of try to unpack what went wrong. In the Cosmos system, we've really focused on a design where at any given point in time, we're anticipating, we're anticipating with the, uh, that, you know, there could be evil, malicious Cosmos zones uh, in the system. Um, security might fail in any part of the extended Cosmos world. Um, and the people, and we are intentionally designing the system to constrain the harm to people who are directly holding, who are holding assets that originate from that chain. So let's say, you know, you have some chain, like let's say a Bitcoin type zone. So it holds Bitcoin on the Bitcoin chain. It creates synthetic Bitcoin on the Cosmos, on the, on the Cosmos network, those chains. And those validators on that network suddenly decide, you know what, we're just going to run away with all these Bitcoins. Who should that harm? We want that to only harm the people who are, who are, um, who are directly holding the Bitcoin that originated from that zone. We don't want it to harm the whole network. Same, same way of thinking about it is, you know, let's say you have, um, you have a decentralized exchange uh, chain and that those validators decide uh, that, you know, they would like to choose the path of evil. And when they choose the path of evil, they're like, you know, they decide to steal a bunch of users' money. Um, do we want them to also be able to inflate token balances all over the network or, or double spend tokens? We don't want to do that. So the entire design of Cosmos is focused on this question of how to of, of gracefully dealing with failure rather than trying to create a, a system like the sharding systems where they try to achieve a state where failure is impossible. So I think I think then that kind of clears up one of my misconceptions of 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 this and that your your goals are you know basically maintaining the integrity of the individual chains that are actually bound to Cosmos. Is that correct? 
and that was that's been your goal since day one. Is it's not necessarily like you care how the chain. For instance, you're not a scalability solution necessarily. There might be some alternative methods for doing that, but that was not your primary goal in design. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, so here's what I was saying. Well, here's the way the perspective I was coming at this with. So go back to 2016. Summer of 2016 is when this design originated. You know, I was spending time talking to Vitalik and Vlad Zamfir about you know, next generation Ethereum designs. I was talking to Dominic Williams about his ideas for Definity and, uh, you know, that design. And this challenge of saying, okay, under adversarial conditions at scale, failure must be impossible, has always been to me to be an incredibly high bar. And that is the bar that sharding requires you to set. And so, I had been introduced um, by my friend and co-founder of Occlusion, Tony, um, on to you know the work of Mark Miller, who's now one of the founders of, of Agoric, about um, his work in the '90s on smart contracts. And I looked at it and I'm like, you know what this is? This is a, a, a system for a scalable distributed system where the where failure is tolerable, where failures can happen. And you know, end users and software agents will be, and markets can reason about failure and the likelihood of failure. And this is a far more interesting. This is this is the thing that, in my mind, was really important to try and get right now. Because yes, scalable architectures are coming. Yes, you know, we're and the design space of blockchains is large, and the number of different ways in which we can build this these things are large. And you know, technology is rapidly improving. But ultimately what we want is we want to lower the barrier to entry for people to come out with these new systems. We want these new systems once they exist to be able to exchange value. So users aren't just like, okay, well, I think the Definity security model is the right one. So I'm going to do everything and own every asset inside of Definity, or I think ETH 2.0 is the right one. And I want to do everything inside ETH 2.0. And I think it's relatively obvious that this is not what people want. People are going to want to pick technology stacks, ecosystems, technologies that work for them um, and solve their problems. And we wanted to make sure that like what we get right during this phase um, was two things. One is this creation of, of the economic incentives around proof of stake and get that right. And then enable all of these chains uh, to talk to each other because we basically feel like the, the, the future is inevitably thousands, tens of thousands of proof of stake blockchains that communicate to it with each other. This is great. Uh, this is this, this, this transition beautifully into something that I wanted to ask, um, which is somewhat of a, like the exact same story, but through the, through a, a, a different lens. And so what Cosmos is doing is focusing on the self-sovereignty of a lot of the blockchains, and allowing them to communicate by providing a, like a basically an interledger protocol, the IBC. Um, and what other sharded chains are doing is basically allowing people to create blockchain-like systems, whether that be Ethereum 2.0, where it's basically all the same sharding architecture, or or uh, Polkadot, where people can build whatever they want, but offload their security of their blockchain to the Polkadot network. And so that that if you view that from a different lens, what that means is that when people are doing this cross-blockchain communication or cross-whatever communication across those networks, 
um, on these sharded things, they no longer have to worry about the security of the things that they're transferring across that network. Whereas in Cosmos, they do. Like, so if someone, it's like the Binance chain communicating with a completely different chain has to really, really care about the security model of that individual change they're, they're, they're interacting with. So at the cost of self-sovereignty, um, and this is, this, is, this is a lesson that's, that's ripe throughout the entire ecosystem, at the cost of uh, self-sovereignty, you gain quite a bit of responsibility and complexity in how you do things and making sure that the security models you're dealing with are, are, are good. The, well, the other big thing that I want the world to understand is that, you, that security and governance are fundamentally connected. If you are a security system, uh, or if your security comes from a group of token holders, those token holders control your destiny. When you want to make changes, you are ultimately appealing to those token holders to, uh, 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 to you know, be on board with those changes, to, um, to uh, you know, facilitate upgrades. When those token holders come to decisions about how they want to change the system, um, they will inevitably drag you along with. Um, so there is no world in which you have both sovereignty and political independence and shared security. Those things are fundamentally at odds with each other. I agree with that. I certainly see a role for all kinds of sharding and shared security. I am asking the question is, what was the most, what was the most, you know, what I asked the question of myself for the last three years, it was what was the most important thing to work on first? And I think that this version, this, that making sure the sovereign interconnectivity works is more important than making sure sharding works. But we can, once we have that working, you know, also there's just plenty of people working on sharding and no one else was working on sovereign interconnectivity. Yeah, well, one, 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 I guess, fundamental thing about this is that once you have self-sovereignty, you can build things that don't, but you can't go the other way around. Exactly. Right. Just like the same, same argument with decentralization. If you have a decentralized infrastructure, you can build a centralized solution on top of it, but you can never do the opposite. And this is something like that, you know, you can build these systems on top of a self-sovereign system if you'd like to. So and it's, in some sense, it's a more and general I do, I solution. I view ultimately Polkadot, um, uh, Ethereum 2.0, Definity, all these things as the kinds of self-sovereign systems that hopefully Cosmos will connect as these systems become mature. Uh, but that's the thing that I, I, I'm still kind of trying to grok because it sounds very similar in goals to like Polkadot. So how do you connect Polkadot to like Cosmos if they're kind of serving similar purposes? Is that even the ideal scenario or is it basically like you're building two independent networks? Am I misunderstanding what Polkadot is supposed to be? Like, can you help me out with that? I would say that Polkadot um, is frequently um, somewhat ambiguous in the way that they communicate about what their system is. And we try to be very precise about what we, what we uh, 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 try to is the purpose of Cos Cosmos is me is build proof of stake is, is build MVP proof of stake and then build MVP sovereign in interconnectivity. To me, if you look at what the effort, you know, where the effort of Polkadot is, the work effort of Polkadot is build a, a near universal uh, uh, execution engine based on WebAssembly, build a consensus algorithm that, that has 
that allows many chains to be to be finalized by a single global large-scale consensus and build um, a system of verifying the state transitions, verifying the execution in each one of these different chains um, so that there is one, that, so that it is essentially one unified system of security that no one chain is likely to break or another. That to me is what Polkadot is focused on. That, that is their focus because that's what their engineering time is being spent on and that's what they're doing. And our focus is our engineering time is primarily being spent on, on, on a framework for sovereignty and on communication uh, 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 and the communication between sovereign chains. So yes, Polkadot's vision, some, you know, their sort of extended vision of the world seems to encompass something like sovereign chains intercommunicating with them. That's certainly not something that I see their, them spending engineering time on. And I'm pretty familiar with what goes on in their in their repos. Gotcha. I'd be, I'd be curious about, um, in your, in your opinion, what's like the, the minimum viable project for starting to, to like, that would be ideal for building on top of Cosmos. Is it is it a DAP? Is it a blockchain that that supports DAPs? Is it like can you can you talk about that? Mostly, what we're seeing right now is kind of like a DAP per chain model. That seems to be what uh, the market is ready for and excited about. That may be something like what uh, like kind of the original idea of what Plasma was supposed to offer is like this is this is your system that's able to communicate with other systems, but it's only on its own chain. Yeah, the difference between, the primary difference between Cosmos and Plasma is Plasma chains are designed to have their security be derived from some root chain, mm -hmm. typically Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me, let me go back. Okay, so MVP for Cosmos. MVP for Cosmos is what we are seeing is the dominant model is people s spinning up sovereign sort of DAP chains. Um, where each chain is its own application. But these chains are designed to be secure under themselves, though you are seeing a tremendous amount of overlap between what who is a validator and on the hub and on these changes. And, and from a reputational point of view, it allows a lot of these other chains to sort of piggy bank on the sort of global reputation of the Cosmos validator set. Uh, because a Cosmos validator set that screws up on... Cosmos validator that screws up on Terra looks bad everywhere, regardless of you know how bad the, uh, the splashing conditions on Terra were. These Cosmos chains that are secured in this manner are able to like sort of do anything. Um, they're they can run whatever cryptography they want. They can express whatever crypto economics they can have. They can have any possible state machine. What Plasma was about is constraining the state machine so that the proofs that were re required to exit the system um, back onto the root chain without the consent of the validators on the plasma chain were sufficiently small that it was feasible to do these exits. And the net result of that is pretty much the only thing that people have sort of gotten to work on plasma so far is some sort of value transfer or payments. Whereas, um, you know, what we see in the marketplace is a lot of demand for increasingly sophisticated um, state machine logic um, that you can't provide plasma guarantees.
Okay, so let's 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 talk about how like validators kind of work, and I think this ties into my questions on your proof of stake model. Um, yeah. So, see, I, this is interesting to me. I was I was hoping maybe you could also touch on this. So let's just start there. You work on Tendermint. Tendermint is hugely involved in the in the Cosmos project. It is a it uh, that is BFT, correct? Um, so what is the uh, proof of stake model being used in in Cosmos, and can you talk about how the two are interrelated, the Tendermint project and Cosmos? The proof of stake model that Cosmos has is you lock up funds with the particular validator. So you know you say I run a validator, the validator's named Occlusion. Personally, I I have you know over a million atoms locked up in Occlusion. You know, the broader community has also contributed another 3 million atoms that are locked up in occlusion. If occlusion uh, were to fault, uh, all 4 million of those atoms would all be slashed by 5% um, right now. Um, and slashing is, uh, the tokens are destroyed. In, as a result of locking up those tokens, um, there's an inflationary reward that is shared with the, the, uh, with, with everyone who has bonded tokens that's distributed in protocol um, on every block. Um, and there are also going to be, as we enable IBC and continue to upgrade the network, there are going to be fee rewards that, that also uh, uh, get distributed on every block. And we're certainly in the research area looking at um, ways in which, for instance, those fee pool, these, these staking pools can be adapted to, um, to other chains. So is this delegated proof of stake or is this actual like a, like more in the Casper vein of like trying to um, be very um, uh, generic and, and, and non-delegated, I guess. This is, I don't want to go through the differentiation between those two right now. That's kind of complicated, but like, is this a DPO? Okay, so I, I want, I, I'd like to explain why these things are the way they are, okay? So, Tendermint is the first um, BFT, uh, uh, um, classical BFT consensus engine that sort of has reached the level of maturity where it can be run by networks of strangers on the open internet. Um, that's, that's sort of its, its primary claim to fame. Um, it's, it, so far, things there have been no other goals. So we haven't been optimizing for throughput you know, hundreds of transactions per second is is reasonable, um, but we haven't been optimizing for throughput. And the second thing that we haven't optimized for is having a super large validator set. Um, during Game of Stakes, we ran the network um, with six second block times and over 200 validators. Um, I certainly don't know what the upper limits are on, let's say, under 10 second blocks, um, but it's it's not been a goal. and. One of the reasons why it's not been a goal is there are really maybe 30 or 40 credible validator baker operators in the world right now. Um, I worked my ass off in 2018 to help a lot of these people get off the ground. Um, and um, I, we're in the very early days of that space. Um, and I really, you know, the team really feels that um, the level of experimentation of deploying new cryptography, um, uh, 
sort of undermining our goals of a simple, easy to understand consensus protocol. Um, all of these pieces uh, would be undermined by optimizing for larger validator sets. Uh, though, um, and it's sort of like a not a thing because, you know, as you know, as I told Arthur back when he was designing Tezos, he designed Tezos for 80,000 validator slots, and he basically has 100 invaders. Um, and, you know, and now looking back, he's like, and, you know, Tezos intends to just, you know, switch to using something that is very similar to Tendermint in the future, because that's the reality of the world right now. The reality of the world is, um, you know, there aren't that many of these cre credible validator operators right now. And so designing for thousands and thousands um, of validators is perhaps a bit of a non-goal. And so the way in which Cosmos is sort of designed is, okay, so given the limited validator set, what we want is every validator set to represent a staking pool that is um, made up of many users. We want to have the economic relationships between those staking pools to be operate in protocol. So you don't create like what we've seen in, in Tezos, where for instance, bakers have to do out of band uh, business development um, in order to increase their, their, uh, uh, their uh, self bonds so that they can continue to grow how much they're delegated. Uh, we didn't want to do any of that. So this is why we designed our staking system the way it is. Um, and, uh, you know, so far seems to be working as intended. Um, it's basically designed for millions of atom holders to economically interact, to help to make, to help decide what validators secure the system and to be first class economic participants in the system, even though, and then have a relatively small number on the order of hundreds of consensus operators. All of this could change in the future, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we could, you know, as, as proof of stake continues to grow, the number of, of credible validator operators might become, uh, uh, might get into the tens or hundreds or that, you know, the hundreds or thousands of, and, you know, it might be of interest from the Cosmos hub uh, to, uh, to increase the size of the validator set. And, you know, I know what those technical trade-offs look like. So, um, you, do you have a capped validator set? Is that what you're saying? Or am I missing? Yeah. So at any given point in time, the protocol has a cap in it right now. Okay. The cap on the hub is a hundred. Does um, that change with the number of, with demand or is there any sort of like, um, right now the primary mechanism by which it changes is governance. Okay. Um, okay. So the, they would be voted in basically, oh, we need to, increase well, you the... would vote to increase the cap. Yes. Okay. Okay. So my question is how are, what if somebody, so again, you, uh, I, I don't want to be too harsh because I know this is still like, probably some of these questions might not be even answered yet and we'll see how they play out in reality. But like, how do you stop like cabals from like deciding to attack the cosmos network by preventing them increasing the validator set, which then prevents the, the network from actually so uh, growing in the way that it actually needs to in order to facilitate the amount of um, players or just to block or to block other people from coming into Cosmos so that their particular thing can, that they've invested a heavy amount of money and can succeed. And this is kind of leading to my questions about DPoS and like how that works. Now, I'm not sure you haven't said specifically DPoS, but that was my understanding and I could be completely wrong. So DPoS, which is, you know, sort of the BitShares EOS protocol, um, 
functions and feels really different because there's no lockup of capital. Um, typically what you have is you have the capital in the system is voting for validators. That, that capital doesn't become bound to that validator um, in any way, shape or form. Um, and the Cosmos mechanism where we're bonding to the validators and basically you get to switch validators basically twice every 21 days at most. Um, it creates this sort of, you know, it's, it's this very weighty decision um, on, on atom holders about who exactly they choose to bond with. Um, um, now you've integrated KYC elements into the atom holders, is that correct? Or no? Nope. So no why KYC. can't I just have a thousand like potential atom holders, which can be used on the network then? Um, so, you know, now that now that transfers are enabled, you know, the number of atom holders, you know, there were a thousand atom holders roughly from the fundraiser. Um, but, you know, now the transfers have been enabled, you know, the number of atom holders is increasing. Um, the um, so I like, kind of like to get to like your question about cabals. Yeah, so, that's what I was kind of leading into. Yeah. Uh, uh, syndicates, cabals, all of this stuff. So on one hand. Okay, so, you know, I run one of these validators and I, I think a lot about, you know, I, I like live the economic incentives just like day by day, okay? So what are my economic incentives? My, certainly my economic incentives are to grow my delegation, to generate, so what are things that like increase expected value for me? Um, so the first thing that uh, increases expected value for me is obviously, you know, increasing the value of, of, of atoms and the Cosmos token. Um, you know, market cap is, is, is obviously a big factor here. Um, you know, the value of, of, the, uh, of the atom token, you know, helps define the economic incentives. And it's great to actually have a number there now um, of, of what we think that value is, uh, of, of what that value is. Um, and the, of what the market thinks the value is. Um, and, you know, I think anything that makes the system feel like, oh, you know, this entry into the validator set, participation in the economics of the network, participation in governance is, is constrained to some select few who happen to get into the fundraiser or whatever, obviously I think undermines that value. Um, and so I think it would not be in my interests uh, to sort of close the, you know, close the doors behind us. It was also really important to me that when we started out the network, um, we did it in a very decentralized, in like the most decentralized fashion that has ever been done. So that everybody who even looking back at the history of the network will always see, okay, this was like an organic process of building the Cosmos. The, so I, we also have seen, um, we saw during our game of stakes experiment, there was a, so during the game of stakes system, we did a KYC process uh, for participants as kind of like a weak anti-civil mechanism. And, you know, when I was doing the KYC, I saw, oh, you know, I think it's kind of odd that there are all these women from Southeast Asia signing up for game of stakes. I don't think this is actually, these are actually like authentically the players, but I'm like, I let them all in because I was curious to see how the system would behave, you know, if there was, you know, a large, uh, uh, a large uh, cabal that was, you know, controlling part of the voting power. Um, and, you know, ultimately what we believe Cosmos is about is, um, and like individual Cosmos chains are for, is for 
automating the social consensus, not replacing the social consensus. So in, in Game of Stakes, we saw uh, uh, the network actually hard fork out uh, um, the, uh, uh, the cabal that was created by, um, you know, uh, Bitfish, Sybil attacking our, our, our registration process for, your, for a game of stakes. Um, so I basically think that there are, you know, um, and this is like kind of like my long-term disagreement with Vlad Zamfir. Um, you know, in physics, you know, they model a cow is a frictionless sphere. Um, that's yeah. not actually what a that's cow a, that's is. A, that's our wrong, ongoing joke for physics, physics jokes. Yes. Um, and th this is an ongoing joke. I feel like a, a lot of uh, sort of, sort of models of oligopolistic uh, competition in proof of stake model these systems as if there are no external factors um, and there, there is no underlying social consensus. All there is is just this blockchain. All there is is the economics incentives of that blockchain. Your goal is just to acquire as many tokens as possible. And yeah, that's obviously that's... not the case. Nope, the value not. is not in, in, in people don't want to like the like your desire to acquire tokens is proportional to the desire of other people to want those tokens and find them useful. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, the Cosmos hub exists in tension with other Cosmos chains that will come into existence that will have different token distributions um, that will vie for security for like utility uh, with each other. And if the Cosmos hub is not able to maintain a credible amount of decentralization, security, social scalability, it will fail and it will be replaced by something else you know, with similar software, but with a better group of people uh, in, involved. Yeah, and that, that's or maybe an endless point. cycle by which these things come into existence, centralize, fail, and are replaced. So they're, they're trying to build an ideal, assuming that people want ideal. Um, when, you know, in, oh, people will obviously use this if this is the ideal system, but oftentimes, I mean, we're dealing with human beings who have emotions, who don't operate it logically, who don't care about the same things they care about. So you could develop even an ideal system where competition is, is pretty much game theoried out to be perfect, but there are external factors that somebody might even create their own thing and they want to take this one out and that kind of stuff. So it also, it, it makes sense to me that you can't develop around a closed environment. Like, uh, I feel like... They are trying to do not that it's a bad goal in fact it serves a very good purpose in that if you were to have your own chain of truth like that would be kind of the way to go about it um, but that does not mean it'll be the only chain of truth um and it does not mean and once it's out there it's something they got to compete with so i mean I, I i i love this conversation by the way we are kind of running short on time but there's a couple of things I, I really want to touch on we do want to get into what you're going to do with blockchain week um but i i think uh I think something that that's missing from this conversation is uh, what it's like to develop on Cosmos from a user's perspective. Like, not everybody's got to know these details as deep as 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 we know them. If if somebody is, is just once has an app an application, you basically said one application per chain is kind of the model you've seen being adopted. What do they do? What is it like? What? How do they get on board? Onboarded? How do they start participating in your network? Um, what what are the? Do they need to be a validator? All these kind of things. Um, so the typical process of, of onboarding, of building a Cosmos application today is most people are building it, are building, intending to launch a sovereign chain. Um, they take a, a design that, you know, they've either built for Ethereum or some other platform. Um, I've seen applications be ported to, 
to the Cosmos SDK, um, which is our, our system for building blockchains in as little as a couple of weeks. Um, it's just incredibly gratifying, you know, and, you know, I, you know, we saw Binance kind of go from, um, from, you know, starting to work with the SDK to, you know, having a launched mainnet on in, in, a, in the matter of just, uh, you know, like four months. Um, and so, you know, this cause the Cosmos SDK is just an incredible accelerator uh, for blockchain secure application development. And so like the model is, is, is you know, uh, is you go out, you build your, uh, uh, build your application, you find a validate set and you launch it. Now, so far we haven't seen as, you know, we've seen a whole spectrum of, you know, the validator set is eight nodes all run by us to, uh, you know, Cosmos SD, the Cosmos Hub, which is a sort of open free for all um, to something in between um, where you have some validators from the hub, some validators by the, the organization, the split of voting power. We're seeing all of these models um, in, in the Cosmos SDK. Um, I hope to see uh, a, a lot more experimentation. I like, I expect to see, you know, more token drops to atom holders. I see, I expect to see lots of other, there's lots of, of, of ways of, 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 there's the design space of, of creating Cosmos chains is huge. Um, and I'm hope and like setting up their economics and creating validator sets is huge. And I'm expecting to see all possible variants. So where do they go to get started? Like, like what, where, where do people go to find out more? Because that device is so huge, they got to go somewhere to start learning. Uh, the, 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 the best place to start is just start building your chain on the Cosmos SDK. Um, we have a name service tutorial in the Cosmos GitHub that is usually where people get started. Nice. And uh, how can people reach it's out to you? It's a simple though? example of building one Namecoin-like application. Yeah. Well, before how, how what uh so what's what's uh what's your activity going to be like over at a consensus and um our people uh, blockchain week? How are people going to be able to? What are people going to be seeing at your talk, for instance? What a uh, you give us a preview on that. I have so I'm I'm I, I'm I'm just involved in a huge number of events. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind a big of week. Insane. Um. This is why I call it Hell Week. Yeah, you know, I've been, I think I've been to every consensus. Um, this would be the first time. This would be the first one that I miss. But I'll be there during the week. Yeah, so I've been to every consensus. I've been to every New York Blockchain Week, um, and um, so I call it Hell Week. Um, but I'm doing. There's a small scalability event on Monday. Um, on Tuesday, I'm speaking. To, uh, I'm on a panel about community. And then giving a talk for 15, a uh, 15 minute talk, uh, like Jay's part is 15 minutes and my part is 15 minutes. Um, and I'm going to be talking about, um, like what we've learned, what I, what we've learned about sort of token economics, proof of stake design, um, sort of in the, in the, you know, since we designed the system and since we launched the system, um, I think I've been thinking a lot about, um, sort of yield on capital assets and how different kinds of proof of stake systems can are are designed to provide both adequate yield for security, incentives for people to hold that asset versus other assets, how tokens, you know, there's 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 just a lot to be thought about in the space of token design. Um, and Cosmos is a great toolkit for playing with for like experimenting with this. So I'm gonna be talking a lot about that. I'm speaking on Wednesday on uh, at a Solana uh, event on validators, I'm speak um, and then speaking at Token Summit, um, 
And then on Friday, uh, Gauntlet uh, has organized another event about validators. Um, so I'll be speaking at that. Well, I'm glad we caught you while you're still fresh. Uh, so this will be releasing uh, probably when right when it's starting to kick off. So thank you for coming on. Um, how can people reach out to you? How can they find out more about Cosmos? What would you like them to look at and um, interact with I'm you? I'm at ZMunion at tw on Twitter. Um, that's usually a good place to connect with me. Come hang out in all of, you know, cosmos.network. Um, we have sort of a community page for the hub. There's lots of places. Uh, you can find me at uh, my validator, Occlusion. Um, those are kinds of my, my things right now. Cool. As always, you can reach us at Hashing It Out uh, Pod um, on Twitter. Uh, if you want to reach Corey or I, it's at Core Petty for Corey and at Colin Couchet, that's C O L L I N, last name C U S C E. And cool. uh, thank you. Thank you for coming on, Zachy. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, it's, always, it's always a blast having you on, dude. You've got, you've got a lot of information in that head, so appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys.